1: you can find the plan that fits you best.
3: Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which
1: the ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst-case scenario in my own brain. 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 My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. 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 They say history repeats itself Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith,
3: and I am
1: The Alarmist. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. For this holiday episode, we're discussing John Glock and the Santa Claus Association. Here's what you need to know was the 19th century when the tradition of writing letters to Santa began. But in the mid-1800s, letters were not sent to St. Nicholas, but from him. They were originally devised by parents to encourage obedience, and respect from their children. But as the image of Santa Claus transformed from a disciplinarian into a jolly, rosy-cheeked fellow in the late 1800s, children began writing letters back to Santa, insisting on postmarking and mailing their notes just as they had received them. Initially, these letters were either returned to the sender or destroyed by the post office, a depressing practice for all. After some pressure from the media, in 1911, The Postmaster General allowed letters clearly addressed to Santa Claus to be delivered to approved philanthropic institutions or individuals. While children wrote letters with their Christmas wish lists to the beloved Kris Kringle, a very different man was developing a plan to turn the festive mail program into a massive business scheme that would eclipse Father Christmas himself. John Gluck's birthday was often forgotten. It was on the 25th of December, an internationally festive day that had nothing to do with John, the oldest of five boys growing up in New Jersey. When his father died, John begrudgingly took over the brokerage firm before pivoting to a slightly more exciting industry, publicity. While he found professional success in his career, it wasn't the thrilling, prestigious life he had imagined. So when he read about the post office's recent approval of letters to Santa in his morning newspaper one day, inspiration struck. John Gluck founded the Santa Claus Association and sought approval from the post office as a charitable organization that would collect and circulate letters from needy children to wealthy donors looking to spread Christmas cheer. The media was delighted by Gluck's Santa Claus Association which asked volunteers to sort letters in the back room of Henkel's Chop Shop on 36th Street. The volunteers sent approved letters to potential donors who handled the gift-giving themselves. The Santa Claus Association was an overnight sensation and coordinated the delivery of gifts to over 10,000 New York City kids in its first year. In 1915, Gluck announced a new mission. He had commissioned architects to build the Santa Claus building. A magnificent structure in the middle of Manhattan, complete with offices, a toy market, and an international monument to Father Christmas. He proposed the building would cost $300,000, and his growing team began a fundraising campaign like none other. To raise the money, Gluck created dozens of fraudulent charities, with names like Crusade Against Illicit Traffic in Narcotics, Serum Control of Cancer, and the Window Crib Society. He used his massive database of thousands of New York socialites to solicit funds. But in 1927, the Santa Claus Association quietly changed its tactics. Instead of acting as the middleman between needy children and rich patrons, the association asked for money directly, with checks made out specifically to the Santa Claus Association and sent long before any letters from children were delivered to the offices. The campaign was brazen enough to raise suspicion. Finally, Bird Kohler, the city's public welfare commissioner, began looking into the Santa scheme. On December 22, 1927, Kohler summoned Gluck into his office. When the commissioner began asking Gluck about the Santa Claus Association's finances, staff salaries, and donors, Gluck stalled and rambled, finding a way to avoid answering any of the probing questions. With only days until Christmas, Gluck insisted he did not have the time to supply him with the financial documents, and stormed out of the public welfare offices. It took another full year for Bird Kohler to expose John Gluck. On December 9, 1928, the post office officially withdrew support for the Santa Claus Association, stating that it would end, quote, Any scheme wherein the appeals of the needy or the charitable impulses of philanthropic persons are exploited for private gain. Before John Gluck could object, a postman walked directly into the fraudulent charity's offices, retrieving the dozens of letters piled high on Gluck's desk from the previous day's delivery. Shunned by New York as a Christmas con man, John Gluck made Santa's naughty list that year. Fun Facts, aka Death Stats, in its first year of operation, the Santa Claus Association coordinated the delivery of gifts to 13,160 kids in the city. In 1915, two years later, the number had ballooned to 50,000 kids in 16,000 families. At the charity's height, John Gluck had a database of 76,000 New York donors. For all letters, Santa's official address is 123 Elf Road, North Pole, 88888. With us today, we have producer Clayton Early. Hello. Fact checker Chris Smith. Hello. And our very special guest today is Brian Earle. Hi, Brian.
0: Hello. Thank you for having me.
1: We're so excited to have you. Uh, just so our listeners know, Brian is the host of the podcast Christmas Past, where they explore stories behind Christmas traditions. Brian, what can our listeners expect uh, from this latest season?
0: Uh, It is more of the same. We're in our seventh season now, where we take a Christmas tradition, find the most highly qualified expert that we can to tell the story behind it, uh, and then package all of that up into something that sounds a little bit like what it would sound like if NPR had a Christmas podcast. So I often explain it to people. Imagine NPR meets Clement Clark more, and you've basically got the gist of it. (laughs)
4: gonna look up clement clark more real
2: quick (laughs) (laughs) sounds like a really smart and cool christmas
1: yes it's i i i find it very educational and while soothing you have a a really fun style of just explaining these traditions
0: Oh, thanks. Yeah, that was the whole idea is that I'm not presenting myself as any kind of subject matter expert. Uh, I'm not a reporter or an historian or anything like that. What I do is go to those people and then package it up into a pretty particular and highly stylized listening experience. So that's kind of what I bring to it is my writing, storytelling and content production skills to kind of, you know, the idea is it's supposed to be educational, but it's also supposed to give you the warm, fuzzy Christmas feelings and all in the time it would take you to drink a cup of hot chocolate. My episodes are pretty short and they're meant to be. The Grinch would hate your podcast. He would, (laughs) and he does, I've heard.
1: (laughs) He's written (laughs) in. Brian, we'd like to start off the show by asking our guests, what is something that's recently alarming you? What's something that's keeping you up at night?
0: Uh, my two-year-old's behavior. Uh, he mm. he won't eat all of a sudden. He used to... Y- oh. y- there are certain foods that he would reliably eat, and then there are certain foods that all of a sudden he, he just hates. Uh, so dinner time has become very stressful, and... <laughs> We like to, and the the problem is now that it's during the Christmas season, we tend to be pretty good with him about screen time and sugary foods. But you know, Mm. I want to share all that stuff with him, like any parent wants to share Christmas with him. So I love that we can have a cookie and watch Rudolph, but we can only do that if he eats dinner, which is not reliable these days. Right? He wants cookies for
2: dinner. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm.
1: And it's (laughs) really—I understand—it's ruining everyone's dessert, not just it. Sure is. That's stressful,
4: but I always like it when a when a guest has a very acute, specific mm-hmm. alarm that's mm-hmm. going on in their life mm-hmm. um and you know, I wish you the best, but I'm also <laughs> always glad when it and it doesn't affect my life so I'm, glad, I'm, glad, I'm glad for that. I'm yeah. rooting for your son. I'm sure everything will be okay. <laughs> we won't send you a box of
2: Christmas cookie because it seems like that would be problematic. Oh, uh, you can send them. We no, just won't right. give them to him. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I full
4: control. Okay.
2: <laughs> so
1: I, let's dive right in. Uh, and before we do, I want to give a special thank you to Alex Palmer, who's a researcher and historian on John Gluck and is the author of The Santa Claus Man. Uh, most of our quotes that you're going to be listening to from this episode are from his work. And I actually heard that Alex Palmer is I believe his great grant John Gluck's great-grandson.
0: He so is a distant relative, yes. A distant
1: relative. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. And Brian, you also know a lot on this topic. Isn't that so?
0: I do, and I actually learned it directly from Alex Palmer. Uh, I read his go. book, The Santa Claus Man, reached out to him and said, I would like to collaborate with you on what, as far as I could tell, would be the first ever Christmas true crime podcast. Mm. Uh, and so this was released as a special series of Christmas past back in 2019 called My Dear Santa, A True Crime Christmas Caper, where he and I and a bunch of other special guests really took his work in packaged it up and stylized it into a listening experience. Uh, Since then, he and I have been in good touch. He wrote the foreword to my book. Uh, He's been a a guest with me, a co-guest on several podcasts. So, yeah, I really enjoy what he does. Um, And we should also point out that this is is not the only Christmas book he's written. His book, The Atlas of Christmas, came out a couple of years ago. uh, And I believe he has another one in the works.
1: Well, we are in good Christmas company.
0: Yes, that's
4: true. I also like thinking of the first... Christmas true crime because, like, you know, <laughs> you hear like the music, We Wish You a Merry Christmas, but it's like in minor key and like, slowed down, <laughs> yeah. like that Jordan Peele movie. You know, like, yeah. I don't know. That kind of gave me the wheelies in a good way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, the stakes are high. Christmas is uh, one of those times of year. I mean, if, if you've ever spent it with uh, family, you know that it can be uh, tensions arise sure um, a lot of expectations, expectations. yes a lot yeah. of that so i'm not surprised i'm not i'm not surprised mm-hmm. uh, i'm sure there will be uh, a lot of topics you can cover in your um christmas podcast Your <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. now let's start off by putting john gluck right up on the board
2: let's do it
1: right and uh this comes from alex palmer's book uh the santa claus man Although he made it his mission to answer letters from New York City children, Gluck had no children of his own. He was a bachelor since his marriage to Baltimore native Catherine Wheeler ended in divorce five years earlier, just shy of their fifth anniversary. Gluck's imagination and abundant energy added a sense of whimsy, to his days, but it also made him restless and hungry to do something important with his life. He was sure that a man with his business background could devise an efficient, cost effective, and fun way to play Santa. Each organization, Gluck created, helped him gather more names and address and addresses of potential donors and supporters. Should a group be exposed, Gluck would take the names and information and move them to another of his schemes. The complexity of these groups made it difficult for watchdogs to fully wrap their arms around it. Hmm. The National Information Bureau, an auditory of charity groups, wrote quote, When he first formed the Santa Claus Association, Mr. Gluck claimed that his only activity was to put donors directly in touch with children in need. In recent years, however, He has been flooding New York and and vicinity with letters asking for checks and cash to be sent to him. Mm -hmm. So far, as we know, no satisfactory accounting of the books of the Santa Claus Association and the money sent directly to Mr. Gluck has ever been made. Hmm. Now, a big part of his fundraising campaign was in an effort to do this building, to build this I believe it was going to be called the Santa Claus Building Mm -hmm. in New York City.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that's right. After he had a couple of very successful seasons of the Santa Claus Association where he was really just matching donors to children's letters to Santa Claus. Uh, This was, you have to remember, around the time when Grand Central Station and the New York Public Library, you know, you're Mm. seeing this city unfolding in front of you with all these crazy works of architecture that you couldn't have imagined just a generation ago. And now all of a sudden, it's right there. It's happening in front of your eyes. And so he gets the idea Let's create, right in Manhattan, this huge Santa Claus Association building, this big marble structure with a 50-foot stained glass window. There's going to be a high-end restaurant. There's going to be a conference space for toy makers to you know showcase all of their latest toys that year. Some really name-brand architects were on the ticket to do this work. And back in those days, when you went to the movies, they do the news reels, you know, like our boys often, you know, across the Atlantic, you know, that kind of stuff <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where they were they, they actually were, were um, hyping this up. This was big news. And then, unfortunately, there's no big story about what happened to it. It's not like, oh, there was an investigation and the whole thing crumbled. It just kind of fizzled out. And then, you know, every, <laughs> a couple of years later, I was like, wait, whatever happened with that? Build- oh, yeah, right. I don't know. I don't know whatever happened with that. And that was the, the end of it.
2: It seems like a pretty ambitious project to undergo in the middle of New York City, given that like Christmas is only like a month out of the year, right? Like, what's going on with that building in (laughs) the months of the year? But we're going to erect this huge, you know, monument to Christmas. Yeah, they didn't have Airbnb, so you can't just rent it out. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, for the other 11 months.
4: Right. If they had Mm -hmm. it,
2: maybe it would have standards today
4: mm-hmm. but to brian's point thinking about new york from the perspective of like it wasn't what we think of obviously today it was just beginning getting built and you see and it's right. almost like there's there was probably a lot of money there's probably a lot of ambition around it and people probably wanted to make it the mecca it is you know known as today but um fascinating time period it must have
0: been mm-hmm. and it's worth calling out when it comes to the fundraising stuff The reason that Gluck was able to fly under the radar is that technically, and I mean technically, like right up to the point of almost doing it, he was not specifically fundraising. He was more going to people and saying like, hey, you know, if you guys kind of gave us some money we'd you know that would help us out but he was never reaching out to people specifically saying i need a donation that's how mm. he was able to evade um the the watchdogs and the overseers for as long as he did until he made one fatal mistake in 1927 which we can get to right mm.
4: oh wow okay so let's go oh what.
2: Yeah. can i Uh huh. is it is it um would you say it's accurate accurate brian that his intentions initially were actually in earnest and that it wasn't like a scam or a scheme from the beginning? Or do you feel like it?
0: I think so. And I think everything that Alex Palmer says in the book is that he was always the kind of guy who um, he inherited the family business. He was kind of a -a workaday customs broker, but he hobnobbed through his work with a lot of, you know, the Astros and the Vanderbilts. And I think he got kind of a hunger for wanting just more out of life. And Mm -hmm. I think he saw I think he saw this uh, Santa Claus Association. as kind of his way of becoming um, intertwined with New York high society, just sort of being involved mm-hmm. in something, getting some press for himself, making a name for himself. But the first season was so successful and he got so much media attention. Uh, and the next thing you know, the um, what was it? The Astor hotel was lending him space. Mm-hmm. They could use his their wine cellar as his central base of operations. Mm. He really got carried away with it. And Again, he wasn't asking for money, but what happened was people were saying, well, I'm sure you need a little bit of money to cover your postage, your your basic mm-hmm. operational costs, food, whatever. Here, here's a little bit of, of money. Um, and so I think it's once all of the, the ball started getting, once the ball started to get rolling after that first season, I think he kind of got carried away with it. Mm. And the reason he was never charged with any... Ultimately, he was never charged with any crime because he was always operating just up to the line, you know, never quite breaking a law, but pushing things just about as far as he could.
1: Now, something you said I feel like we can put up on the board is his Gluck's aspiration to enter into high society.
2: Right. Mm. Like... That's what you want to put?
1: Is that yes. what you want to call it? Okay. Yeah. Like his desire to be part of that high society. The cool,
4: the cool kids club. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> I also want to put up on the board, uh, perhaps a father Christmas complex. Um, <laughs> this is again, according to Alex Palmer. It is hard to conclude Gluck cared only about money. What was driving him more than profits was his continued desire to elevate himself to greatness. He expanded his wardrobe of three-piece suits and stylish hats. He put himself forward as a writer, editor, charity expert, Ivy Leaguer, lawyers, sociologist, publicity man. Gluck could be any of and all of these when the opportunity suited him. He had sought escape to add excitement to his life and transcend his narrow existence. In some ways, he succeeded during the 1910s and 20s. Uh, He rubbed shoulders with celebrities, saw his name in print and on theater screens, and enjoyed adulation from the press and public.
4: Interesting. So wait, are you suggesting that... When Gluck sees someone like Santa Claus, who does the impossible and is on everybody's mind and is super famous for doing all these things that he wanted to be like him.
0: It's possible. Is that what the Father it, Christmas
4: complex is?
0: Sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> one thing that you missed of the, of the things that he misrepresented himself as was a member of the Secret Service. He actually <laughs> told people that he was... Really? Yeah. Wow. And he got into trouble for that.
1: Yeah, you think? Um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> Why would you want to be known as a member? I, mean, I, I wonder the that, advantage too. Of that.
1: Well, because you have all the secrets. I mean, that's, that's, and, uh, to me, that, that's, oh, I
4: guess, yeah, you uh, that around. goes
1: well together with the idea of Santa Claus, which is like all the secrets of how these presents are delivered Ooh. and mm, uh, being close, I, I don't know, to, to what other people can't get access to kind of like a barrier.
0: He was also, he did a lot of fundraising schemes, ones that were connected to or not connected to the Santa Claus Association, or ones that were, but more tangentially. Anyway, he had this one going where he was raising money for an organization he created called the Citizens Secret Service, which of course had no connection with the actual Secret Service, but it was an entity that he created. And when the Secret Service got wind of it, they got in touch with him and they were just like, yeah, no, that's not going to fly. And they shut it down pretty quickly.
1: Another thing is that his birthday was on Christmas. Yeah. I wonder. It was Christmas Day. So I wonder if he was just like, well, if you can't beat him, join him, right? And what better mm. way to join them than to be Santa for Or your maybe birthday? it's <laughs> like an astrology thing. <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> I feel okay. like we should
2: put holiday birthdays on the board because people you generally are pretty bummed to have a holiday birthday. It's and tough maybe that led to his
4: you know retaliation. In yes. His own
1: life. <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> I also was curious. Oh, uh, Brian, you might be able to answer this. This the Santa Claus Foundation is it was called? I think, or the Association was that the first of his nonprofit uh, uh, companies
0: yeah I believe so Before that he was doing other things like little publicity stints here and there, little freelance uh things. but this was the first time that he ever volunteered to do something like this
4: and so it occurs to me to um maybe there's a maybe there's something to put on the board for for to blame here uh in terms of a viral hit, so it seems like this thing went. Bananas, right? Mm-hmm. This right. Santa Claus Association became a huge hit. Suddenly, he had all of this attention and adulation, and it was sort of like his actions after that—that that where he became sort of—I don't know—it seems like a bit over his ski tips or something. Mm-hmm. I like it's that. Like, yeah, it's like the modern
2: day. Uh, you know, you're you have like a Instagram it, following it's, it's, that blows up, and then you, feel like Addison you have to Ray maintain trying, it.
4: Yeah, it's Addison Ray trying to hold down like a lead role in a movie. You know what I mean? Like it's a viral, it's a TikTok viral TikTok someone. Yeah.
1: So uh, how,
2: what do we call it? Viral. Going viral. <laughs>
1: he went. He went
2: viral. <laughs> OG going viral. <laughs> um.
1: Let's talk about the jazz age and perhaps put that up on the board because I feel like it will give us a little bit of context here. Gluck had been exposed just a few years before as a fundraising fraud, investigated for everything from blackmail to espionage, Mm -hmm. and forced to discontinue his United States Boy Scout group. But as he returned to the work of the Santa Claus Association, he found the city and country more willing than ever to give St. Nicholas a hand. He found himself in the midst of a period of optimism and expanding economic growth, which brought Americans better fortunes than they had ever experienced. Newspaperman Cornelius M. Smith would later recall of this period that, quote, almost anyone of good appearance with a flair for selling, organizing, and publicizing could conduct successful campaigns to raise moderate sums for popular causes. People wanted to give, And what better cause to give than to bring little kids joy on Christmas Day?
0: Yeah, and we were just coming out of a period during the Great War where all kinds of wartime charities were popping up. And the Mm. problem was a lot of them were fraudulent. It was really easy for anyone to just, you know, put out a shingle and saying, I'm raising money for this regiment or whatever. Uh, And cracking down on fraudulent charities was a big to do for a while. Um, I think after we get out of that period, we enter a new time of economic prosperity. And like you mentioned, uh, Gluckhead stepped away from the Santa Claus Association on two separate occasions. Uh, one time he actually just disappeared and didn't tell anyone why and put his wife in charge. Uh, and his wife was, I think, two decades younger than than he was. She was just out of college. And then there was another time when it was just all these investigations. He had the, the uh, uh, New York Attorney General was looking into him. And uh, someone had actually accused him in a letter to the Secret Service of being a German spy. This was during the war, which apparently was not all that uncommon for almost anybody. (laughs) You could be accused of being a German spy. But I think some people were unhappy with the way that he was running the Santa Claus Association. Maybe this was a retaliation tactic. But anyway, he had stepped away for a while and was actually working at a newspaper in New Jersey. And then, uh, yeah, New Jersey. And then he came back toward the middle of the 1920s for his last stint that ended in, in 27. But this was, you know, it was kind of um, one of those comeback stories, you know, where he was hosting these glitzy galas at the Ritz and all of that. And it was really, um, he went out in style. Uh, he, he went out, but he had to go out in style.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I want to put up, this might be controversial, uh, but too much trust in Santa? Hmm. Okay. <laughs> uh, so this is, again, according to Alex Palmer. When Santa was involved, reporters and readers took virtually all of Gluck's claims at face at face value. At such a thrilling time in New York City, it did not seem ridiculous to, tr- to trust the Santa Claus man, but rather ridiculous to doubt him. Gluck stretched the truth in the service of Santa Claus. Sometimes one had to take liberties with facts in order to get... And keep people's attention, he reasoned. What was Santa Claus, if not a friendly deception, invented to delight and encourage better behavior?
4: Mm -hmm. Santa Santa Claus the shiny front man.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, to me, what's so interesting about this um, is how there... Yes, Alex Palmer here is calling out the deception behind Santa as just a figure, right? It's... Mm -hmm he's fake. So there's, wait, all, so, what? <laughs> hold on. God, wait, I ho- hold <laughs> well, on. Cover I think,
2: your kids ears, everyone.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We are going to have to put some warnings behind this
4: episode. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Explicit content for sure. <laughs> on a second.
1: But I mean, it's all a lie. So it, it just goes hand in hand with this organization and, uh, you know, this nonprofit also kind of being very deceptive.
2: It seems easy to take, you know, everyone loves to get into the holiday spirit, right? It's like, um, it's a really jovial time, or at least you can really lean into that if you're inclined to. And who wants to, like, be the Debbie Downer of that party? So it seems like an easy way in to be like, this is for, you know, it's Christmas, it's Santa, it's a good cause. Like, who you don't want to question that, you just want to keep celebrating,
0: right? Well, the other thing was, number one, he had kind of a halo effect going on because, you know, names like Astor and Vanderbilt were connected in a way with the Santa Claus Association. He had, at first, office space in the Hotel Astor, and then at the top of the Woolworths building. They had the penthouse mm. suite in the Woolworths building, which was the tallest skyscraper in the world for a time. Um, and, you know, we had Broadway producers putting on benefit shows for him. It would be really hard to doubt this guy. But right. then the other thing is, prior to him starting the Santa Claus Association, what would happen was the post offices would give over some of the letters addressed to just the North Pole to newspapers who would publish them along with these kids' home addresses. And they say, look, if anyone wants to answer this letter, go ahead. And if you read some of these letters, like there was one where this kid is asking for a new glass eye because his was broken. No. Or, you know, Aww. can I can I have some food for my sister? I mean, these are heartbreaking right. letters. Narrow. And so it's not like today where some kid wants Xbox. I don't even know if Xbox is still a thing, but you get my point. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, I think people were pretty highly motivated to give what they could during that time. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, you, you just reminded me of uh, something I wanted to make sure our listeners knew about, which is uh, if anyone is interested in adopting a letter, you can mm-hmm. actually go to USPSOperationSanta.com now through de- December 21st. And uh, Aspiring Santas anywhere in the U.S. can browse through people's on uh, letters online and select one and respond with to uh, to it with a note or a gift, and then you can mail them this this gift. Um, and I was, of course, I went on first thing I did was go on to this website, and as I was looking through the letters, you know, a lot of it is like. I want a PlayStation, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I want uh, a VR... Uh,
4: it's sort of like sifting through a wedding registry where you're like how much do expensive. I love
1: this these per- kids yeah. are are asking for electric scooters and one of them uh, one of them i read was like if if uh, i really want a phone but if not i I would like an electric scooter and if not i would like <laughs> like you know this list of like really expensive stuff anyway times they have changed
2: right mm-hmm. Maybe we uh, is maybe this is too broad, but is it worth putting just like poverty at like at the time, the excessive amount of it that you know had so many kids riding in that was that justified like such a big organization to pop up around it?
1: Like a a, a wealth gap. Uh
2: yeah, income inequality. Ur- ur-
4: income sure. inequality
1: for sure. sure.
4: Yeah. Okay. Great.
1: I also want to put up on the board American obsession with Christmas spirit. Gluck's business was not to distribute necessities, but to spread Christmas cheer, not to rescue poor children, but to protect their belief in Santa Claus. The idea that, that the holiday spirit was in danger and needed protection went back to the earliest days of Santa Claus in America. Gluck wrote, quote, This is a material age, but don't you think it is a good thing to try to preserve as long as possible the children's faith in the unknown, in their belief that once a year someone whom they never see will answer their prayers? Santa Claus may be a myth to us of mature age. To children, he is a living reality. And then there's this absolutely unhinged quote from the Sun newspaper that says, everybody in the world owes something to the old gentleman with the snowy beard and the capaciously filled red suit and it is self-evident that the nearly the nearly everybody who can possibly afford it will be delighted to give something to the erection of a building in the gentleman's honor (laughs) especially when the chiefest and mainest aim of the building is to make a system so perfect that not only only nearly everybody, but absolutely everybody, will be a partaker of his undoubted blessings.
4: Hmm. It's
1: almost like a, a subliminal capitalism happening.
4: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I like that. I'm going to put that on the board. You know, mm-hmm. you know the the Gluck quote it really kind of hit home for me. And thinking about Santa in that context, which I hadn't in a while, which is, uh, you know, a glimmer of hope, right, for people who are in need or Mm. in want of something that they don't have. Um, And until you sort of get old enough to become hardened and cynical like us, (laughs) like me, (laughs) I should say, um, I think that that is a good thing Mm -hmm. Um, because I think articulating something you want is uh, a good practice, even Mm. for adults. Mm -hmm. And uh, writing a letter to that is a way of manifesting that. So sure. uh, I don't know how to put that up on the board, but it was just a thought I had. It sort of mm-hmm. made me believe in Christmas for a moment again. It it, it, <laughs> it, it melted my cold heart. It,
1: it's <laughs> um, uh, what was the uh, the um, the oh gosh? It was a book, and you were supposed to. It was going to get you everything you wanted. The secret. Um, oh, the, the secret. secret. Yes. Manifesting. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: It's kind of the same thing. If only we can get people to uh, write down what they ask for, what they want, like that is not material. Right. Mm. So like, I want you to listen to me when I speak to you. Is this your way of
4: telling me that?
2: I want you to eat dinner before you have your cookie for dessert. My young two-year-old Yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's what you needed to do, Brian. Before (laughs) dinner tonight, that's an option. (laughs) Um, Now, we're almost running out of time here, but I want to put a feverish wartime patriotism slash optimism, because we were just talking about optimism. Again, Alex Palmer writes, Gluck announced at the start of the 1915 season that he had refined the system, yet the group's fundraising efforts were more aggressive than ever. Where was all the money going? The New York newspapers did not report how much was donated or where it went. Instead, the reporters became more manipulative than Gluck himself in urging readers to donate. What are you going to do to bring Christmas cheer to some little trusting uh, but about of humanity who still has all faith in the good of old saint? The Brooklyn Times asked its readers. The proposed Santa Claus building will be a national monument, Gluck declared. A real-life Santa's workshop as well as a place of international celebration of the Christmas spirit. To be sure that there was no confusion of what nation was bringing the gifts of Santa to the world's neediest, Gluck concluded, The building will be a manifestation of America. Across the country, papers lauded that Santa Claus was being recognized at last. One reporter predicted that such a national Santa Claus monument would conclusively relocate Santa's headquarters to America.
2: <laughs>
1: mm. <laughs> They're trying to claim Santa, which made me realize, you know, because he, he putting him in the North Pole makes right. him so neutral. I guess Oof. you don't think about that. <laughs>
2: right? It's a
1: very strategic location for Santa to be in.
2: It's also exactly, and also because you can't go for the kid, you can't just go to the North Pole yeah, to see Santa. That's right. true. You know what I mean, <laughs> I feel like most importantly, it's like we can't really get to his house; it's impossible to get to. But trust, he's alive. You know. Well,
0: it's like in in Holland, Saint Nicholas lives in Spain, and he he arrives mm. by boat every year. Like it, that's pretty specific. I mean, a, an ambitious enough kid could devise a plan to go visit uh, Santa Claus. True.
2: <laughs> That's a
1: little too close, right? Yeah. They should have. Yeah. They should have thought of that. I guess back in the day, it was. It felt a little longer, right? If you had to take mm, a, right, a to boat, get there. yeah, to get there. But nowadays, with the, you know the highways, with and modern <laughs> travel, we can be at Santa's
4: house and right before sundown. Drew. They
1: should rethink that. They should relocate Santa. <laughs> um. So, is there anything else we want to put up on the board?
4: Yes, I'm curious about. Yeah, Bra- Brian, do you Bra- think there's
1: anything we missed?
0: I think we've covered quite a bit. I think we're okay. good.
1: Mm-hmm. So let's all take right. a quick break and then we'll start knocking things off the list.
3: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh one dot com. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress and anxiety we carry around as we go about our everyday life. At The Alarmist, we know it's always better to say it out loud and talk it through. Whenever I stress about the sinking of the Titanic, I don't sit with those thoughts in a dark room. I turn on the lights and dive right into it. Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and work through what's really going on. Maybe you can't stop spiraling or catastrophizing. I started therapy over 10 years ago and never looked back. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online helpcom slash Alarmist.
4: Hit us, Chris. Okay, who's to blame for John Gluck and the Santa Claus Association? Is it John Gluck, Gluck's desire to join high society, Father Christmas Complex, Holiday Birthdays, <laughs> OG going viral, the Jazz Age, Too Much Trust in Santa, in- Income Inequality, America's Obsession with Christmas Spirit, Subliminal Capitalism, or... Feverish wartime patriotism slash optimism.
1: So, right off the bat, could we take? I I actually don't think we should take holiday birthdays off the list. (laughs) (laughs) I think that might be a bigger drive than we think for John Gluck.
4: My cousin, my cousin Grace was born on Christmas Day, and yeah, she's pissed about it. (laughs) She's not happy about it.
1: It's not fair. But I guess, you know, we can fold it into John Gluck. It's like what mm-hmm. made him okay. that kind of person.
4: Right.
2: So we are taking it off the board.
1: Yeah, we are. We're <laughs> folding it. And, and we can also fold in his desire to join high society.
4: Um, because
1: I feel like that...
4: There's something about income inequality, too, that sort of ra- encapsulates that. It's sort uh-huh. of, you know, him uh-huh. sort of wanting to level up in, in the in society is...
1: Yeah. Although, from what I read, I believe he was he 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 was brought up uh, pretty wealthy, or or you know he, wasn't he was an extremely upper rich, middle but class. They were, yeah, yeah, comfortable. Yeah. So he didn't really so you, struggle in that sense.
4: Yeah, but You're, when he's when he's when he's rubbing uh, elbows with the asters and, and yes, that, right. he definitely
1: was yeah, not. That's
4: a different level at that level. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you're wanting to fold
2: income inequality into No no I think no. We,
1: we leave that. Okay. Um OG going viral too much too soon, I feel. I feel
2: like um, that's a real um thing and that might have influenced his like drive to keep, you know, it going. But I don't know if that's like the spark that really
0: No, I wouldn't think so. No.
1: Mm, okay. We can take that off then. Too much trust in Santa.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, do we blame Santa Claus for this?
1: <laughs> well, it's it's more like blaming society, right? Like sure. are we are we just too optimistic about Christmas <sighs> um and I don't know. I don't think i mean
4: i would hate to throw any kind of optimism in jail I, me
1: too and i don't mm. want to throw christmas spirit in the, the alarmist jail either right I mean, it,
4: would, it would spruce things up and change the attitudes i think a little bit about if we expose some of our other prisoners to the christmas spirit but
1: what are you thinking brian here
0: let's see um well, I think we can take the Jazz Age off pretty quickly. Uh, and part of that is because we didn't enter the Jazz Age until the life of the Santa Claus Association was about half over anyway. Oh, mm.
1: yeah, yeah, good point.
2: Right, take it I
0: off. Like that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And too much trust in Santa. I'm not sure we're ready to take that one off. Because, I mean, if we're looking at it from the perspective of the kids who really thought that if they wrote a letter that it, right. you know, for a glass eye that it could be answered and that John was really just answering the call... Uh, that may have been the first domino to fall is just this cultural trust we have in in Santa Claus.
1: Yeah, I agree. What I do think we can take off the list is feverish wartime patriotism because Mm -hmm. I think that Santa is bigger than that even.
4: Sure. Okay.
1: Our our love for Santa, our obsession with Santa. Subliminal capitalism. It's just not, it doesn't have the teeth I want it to have for this.
4: (laughs) No, I agree. yeah, I, I, I agree.
2: Yeah, right. I mean, uh
1: huh. And our obsession with the Christmas spirit—I think we can fold that into too much stress in Santa. Okay.
0: What do yeah. you think, okay. Brian? I think so, and I think uh, when some of these letters first started getting published in newspapers or being sent over to charities, other charity watchdog groups were like. Guys, if you're trying to help kids in need, this is the least efficient way to do it. Is that like, like <laughs> maybe someone's going to answer a le- you know. Right. That is and such just, a
1: good point. It's going to make yeah. them happy for like a, an hour. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, it's not going to really fix their, you know, uh, hunger situation. Their situation. You know?
2: right, right, right.
1: So we're left with John Gluck himself. Father Christmas Complex, which I think we can fold into John Gluck. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure, yeah. for sure. So John Gluck, too much trust in Santa and income inequality. And here's what hmm. I'm thinking. I think I think we send John Gluck to the alarmist jail and we slap income inequality. Okay. What do we think?
0: I think that sounds about right. Yeah, right? If you read the whole story, like you realize that all of the problems that John Gluck faced, the one thing that they all have in common is that they all involve John Gluck. This was a guy who just had a knack for getting himself into trouble and then making it worse and then making it worse again. He is 100% to blame. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Okay. I'm going to call it income inequality. You're getting the big slap. John Gluck. Sorry, buddy. You're going to the alarmist jail. Well, Brian, I mean, we literally, it it, it was like we had a guest expert on our regular episode.
0: I know. So it was was
1: absolutely so fun to have you on as a guest today.
0: Thank you so much. I enjoyed this. And Merry Christmas to you and all your listeners.
1: Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. We couldn't have done this without you. After his scheme was revealed, John Gluck left New York and moved to Miami. Miami the post office department began restricting which charitable groups could receive the letters. In 1962, the New York City Post Office formalized the process of answering Santa's letters. Today, hundreds of local groups handle the answering of letters across the U.S. under the umbrella of Operation Santa Claus. Visit our website and let us know who you think is to blame at www.thealarmistpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at The Alarmist Podcast and on Twitter at Alarmist The. You can also send us your thoughts via email to thealarmistpodcast at gmail.com. Today's episode was produced and engineered by Clayton Early, with fact-checking by Chris Smith, and editing by Maria Blasucci. Thank you to our associate producer and researcher, Alex Paul. The Alarmist is executive produced by Rebecca Delgado-Smith and the ERIOS Network. Tune in next week. We'll be discussing The Nightmare Before Christmas.
3: ERIOS